and welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. I'm your host, Stephen Wheat, and of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we have the lovely Walter Lukashensky. Wally, how are we doing since the last time we spoke? It's Christmas. It is Christmas. I'm not going to take up too, too much time now. All I got to say is that Buddy and I, we've been traveling to these drafts for a long time. Last year, we obviously had a hiatus with COVID being so new that they went with the virtual draft. But each time, it seems like they've stepped up and the draft's gotten better year to year. Nashville was phenomenal. It's going to be really hard to top. But I can't wait to get to Cleveland. I can't wait to be on site for the draft. It should be a lot of fun. And I'm pretty fired up about it. A lot of people don't understand how great that town is. And I'm really excited that the national media is even going to be able to highlight them a little bit. Because you know how Ohio gets a really bad rep with just, you know, Cleveland's got that misdemeanor about it, about how it's the armpit of, of America. And it's such a joke because it's a great city. And I think anybody who's even been there, even visited, I know there's not a ton of people going out of their way to visit Cleveland, but you've been there. You understand what it's like. This is going to be a great opportunity, not only for the city, but for the players going there. I'm really fired up about this week, man. I know Cleveland's fired up for it too, Wally. Like you said, they missed it last year. They finally got their uh, they got their second chance. And, and the players just got word that they are able to hug Roger Goodell. So it's not going to be that awkward basement fiasco that we had last year where he's just blankly staring into it, clearly getting shit-faced, slurring his words by the fourth or fifth round. But I'll take it. Are you going to hug Roger Goodell if you were drafted? Even though I don't like him, I feel like it's kind of like a rule. You have to do it. And even though maybe the players don't enjoy him and kind of the owner mentality first for the league that he kind of approaches with, it's still your moment. So go up there, embrace it, embrace Roger Goodell, It's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It is cool that they're back, and I'm so happy we don't have to see Roger Goodell in his freaking quote-unquote man cave that he's probably been in three times in his life. The whole, this is my seat. This is where I like to watch football. That was so weird. That was so bizarre. I'm I'm not kind of happy. I'm a lot happy that that's behind us, and we kind of get back to a sense of normalcy. It's like watching that Mark Zuckerberg mashup when he's talking about smoking meats. And there's like a five-minute massive video of him just saying smoking meats. And we're here smoking meats. Equally as cringy. I hate Roger Goodell. I think I'll just give him a nice fist bump. I'm not I'm not touching that dude. He's worth way too much money. I don't want him trying to sue me over some shit. I'm not touching it. We'll start off here at the, the top of the episode. A couple of funny stories, something we do every week. So we have to talk about the UFC fight this past weekend. Most notably, Chris Weidman, who broke his leg... 17 seconds into the fight against Yuri Hall. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going on a whim that Yuri Hall guy, UFC fighters, not listening to an NFL podcast here in the States. Nonetheless, absolutely disgusting Kevin Ware-esque Louisville basketball player that did this against Duke in 2013. Oh, it was just disgusting and awesome at the same time. Does it remind you of anything in particular, Wally? Yeah, I'm not exactly a UFC fan at all in my own right, but it definitely reminds you of, ironically enough, Anderson Silva doing the same thing with one of those shin kicks. And who was he fighting? Chris Weidman. How bizarre is that? I hate, hate these kind of videos, man. I can't, I'm the type of guy that even ACLs, those kind of things, turn ankles, a simple turn ankle, and I get like the heebie-jeebies running through my body, and it's just... 
I can't do it. I hate watching this. I never would have seen this if I wasn't forced to by one of my friends this last weekend. I heard about it. I did all I could to avoid it, but I knew if I was going to be on Twitter like I usually am, I was going to see it. So I kind of ripped it off like a Band-Aid for me, watched it, but oh my gosh. I There's a reason why these guys get the bag when they go into that ring. Even something as mundane to people like you and me watching those shin kicks, those guys, they go through hell every single time one of those connect. I mean, that's bone on bone. So it's amazing that this stuff doesn't happen more. And then the fact that you had to see him, that's how painful these kicks are. He thought he was completely fine, and he tries to put weight on it, and the leg just goes in a very unnatural direction. And, oh my gosh, it's so it's so bad. I, From a human perspective, I just hope he's all right. It sounds like he's it's going to be a, a typical kind of recovery from a broken... There's nothing typical about the injury, but the typical recovery from a really bad break like that. I just hope he's okay, but oh my gosh, I'm still kind of mortified even thinking about it right now. Could you imagine inflicting so much pain on someone that you don't know that you literally just broke your leg in half? Like it's just hanging there. The reason he fell so awkwardly is he goes to step back and there's literally it's the bones are just clean broken. They are zigging and zagging. It did not look good. Oh, It was ugly. I remember me growing up, first game, first organized football game that I was a part of. First play of the season, kickoff return. My returner on my team absolutely just completely, completely breaks his fibula. Never plays football again in his life. You could hear the crack sitting on the sideline. I was like, okay, all right, who's shooting guns off? I mean, we're in North Carolina in a high school football game, so I feel like that's not too outlandish. But yeah, that was no shotgun. That was a break of a leg, and it was, whew, it was terrifying. Yeah, it was kind of like one of those situations where you said he didn't realize what had happened right away. So he kicks him, and he's just like, oh, that sounded weird. Oh, I wonder why that guy's, oh, go down I go. And it was just, oh, I, I can't imagine the state of shock you would probably be in right away, too, when you look down and you're like, oh, that's that's not the way my leg looked 15 seconds ago. That's kind of weird. These guys are insane. I don't know how these guys can go into the ring knowing what is very likely to happen, whether that be a knockout, whether you're injured in any capacity whatsoever. I mean, you go in to a literal war for 9, 15 minutes, whatever it is. I can't imagine. And all I can say is speedy recovery to that dude because that is, that is gnarly. What I'm trying to wrap my head around is how do you get the confidence of going back into the ring? I feel like this is a little bit more severe case of NFL player tearing his ACL or you know NFL or basketball player rupturing their Achilles. No contact, you can break it, shit ha- or you can tear your ACL, shit happens. But you're literally your job is to try to beat the shit out of the person standing in front of you with any extremity that you could use. Like, how would you have the confidence to ever want to kick someone like that again? You hear about the term in baseball a lot, yips, and players get the yips. Most famously, probably Rick Ankeel. Guy literally had to go and play in the outfield from being a pitcher because he couldn't all of a sudden make that throw from the mound to home plate. It was crazy. It was just like a mental thing. It's kind of like what you're saying. Like, imagine a wide receiver that goes over the middle and he gets his bell rung enough you start sometimes seeing drop issues. You see confident issues on those routes because you're always kind of worried about what's going to happen. I can't imagine it's the same thing with these UFC guys. Like I don't think I would ever 
do anything beside walk on my leg again. I'd be so scared to damage it, to break it, whatever have you. So yeah, I think that's definitely a mental hurdle he's going to have to get over. I don't know how I would. I hope for his sake he can, especially not only has he done this to himself, but he was a part of the Anderson Silva leg injury. This is a running thing for him now. That's two separate times he saw someone's leg once himself just give up. When you go bone and bone like that, it's just, it's nasty. I uh, I, I got nothing else to say about it. I, it's even right now, I get, I, I got like goosebumps. The closest equivalent I can I can compare that's happened to me is those Razor scooters nailing my cankles. Some of you ankles. Us two on the show, cankles. But that Razor scooter coming around and hitting you right on your ankle bone. I'm assuming it just feels like that, but it's just like seven or eight scooters at the same time doing it. A pain I never want to suffer. That is for fucking sure. Yeah, I, I don't think I got anything else on that for you. If you want to change topics, I'm more than ready to. My God, I can't do it. But with that being said, what, let's get some more cheerful, cheerful stuff here. I'm a very weak person when it comes to my shins. I can barely even touch my shin. Don't know why. Watching that definitely does not help. Hometown team. Basically, no one's a Bengals fan around here. The Cleveland Browns pick up the fifth-year option of their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, the number one draft pick here a couple years back. He's poised to make slightly under $19 million on that fifth year. When Baker's being asked about it, he says, that's not on the table right now. That, that extension's on the back burner. I want to focus on winning right now. So, Wally, you know I got to pose the question. Got a bunch of Brownie fans in here. How good was this move? Because it's not a question if it was good or bad. Definitely the move that they want to make. But what are your overall thoughts on them picking up this option? I'm excited for Browns fans. They finally have their guy that they can literally give a second contract to. That's been something that, not even at the quarterback position only, that they've struggled with in this constant state of rebuilding they've done since the team moved back. And getting a guy like Baker, who he not only gives the Browns their first playoff appearance and playoff win in forever, he's also the guy that is going to be starting three consecutive opening games for the first time since the team moved back. That's mind-boggling to me. It just shows that, or how futile their efforts have been to actually maintain that quarterback position. And to finally have a guy like Baker Mayfield, a guy that gets far too much hate in the media, kind of really kind of bothers me. And it's why I've been like closeted rooting for the Browns the last few years, because it kind of pisses you off a little bit, because the guy hasn't done anything outlandish really since he's gotten to the league. Yet you have the Colin Cowards, you have the national media as a whole. Love to pick fun at him, pick fun at the Browns. I think it's easy too when you consider that going into a couple years ago even, it was the Super Browns expectation. This team was going to overnight become a Super Bowl contender, when in reality it takes time for those pieces to gel. It takes time even for a guy like Baker to realistically elevate this team to where they are today. I'm fired up for Browns fans. I think Baker's going to be a fixture in the league for another 10-plus years. I'm really happy for them. They look like they're a team that could be a legitimate Super Bowl threat this year. I keep saying that because I truly believe it. I love what the Browns are doing, and I'm fired up for Baker. He's not saying that he's worried about the long-term contract because he shouldn't be. The Browns are going to find the money for him. It's just a matter of what that deal ultimately turns out to look like. But again, fired up for Browns fans. This is a very exciting time. Not only do you have a guy like Baker coming back, you have filled in a lot of holes on defense through free agency this year. 
Now you're hosting the draft. You're hosting the draft. You get to pick in the 20s, which has to feel bizarre for Browns fans to be sitting there for three or four hours on draft night and be like, oh, wait a minute. We haven't picked yet. That guy that I've been wanting mocked to us, you have like six of them because at that stage of the draft, you're wondering who's going to be there. And now it's a very fun problem to have that you might be looking at throughout the draft. These guys are getting kind of vultured off before you get there. So it's a fun time for Browns fans. I'm really excited for them, and I'm really happy that they get to finally have a little bit of normalcy, not only from a football perspective, but then in life perspective and handling the draft. Great time for Cleveland. Cleveland is on the come up here. Locking down your quarterback here for at least the next two years at a extremely cheap price. Around this time here in like two, three years, Baker's price might be a little bit north of 40 mil per year. So I've always been a fan of keeping your young quarterback, especially when you have success with your team like this, keeping them on a very team-friendly contract. Still got Jarvis. Still got Odell. You got that power back in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And like you said, they added to their defensive side. So they are built. They are trying to win right now until they have to break the bank for a bunch of those stars. They're re-signing Miles Garrett they already had. Baker's the next one up in line. Are you going to keep Odell? Are you going to keep Jarvis? What are some of these old linemen that you got to pay? Are you going to keep Nick Chubb? Because you can't keep Chubb and Hunt. So this is the smart move to do it now. The AFC North is kind of on a downswing outside of Baltimore. It seems like it's their division to lose at this point because Baltimore can't really seem to get it together here the past year, especially in the playoffs. Maybe this time around, if Pat Mahomes goes down, Cleveland could take advantage of that on that defensively. But until then, and we really get to dissect if we think that Cleveland is going to win here on May 12th when that schedule is released. And the Browns are going to win the division. I want to go on record right now and say that the Browns are going to win this division. I'm not as worried about Baltimore. I think that they might take a step back this next year. I think the Bengals and the Steelers are both going to be right around that 8-9 win total this year, which, great news for the Browns. It means they're probably beating up on each other. And realistically, like you said, Baltimore will be the only team that they're going to have to worry about winning the division. And even if... They do win the division, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. They're a good team. They're well coached. Even if that happens, the Browns are going to be a wild card team, especially with the expanded playoffs now. They're going to be a playoff team for what seems like the foreseeable future. When you have a team that is built top to bottom as strongly as they are right now, you have a great line. You have a great rush attack. You can protect your quarterback. And then you add to those pieces, like we were saying, on defense. This is an awesome awesome time for Browns fans kind of feel unprecedented for the guys our age because realistically before what's going on right now I mean the highlights of your Browns career or fandom career whatever you want to call it has been the Derek Anderson 10 and 6 year where they didn't even make the playoffs I still remember going to that game in week 17 against the 49ers and there were signs up in the crowd of Browns helmets with the Indianapolis Colts logo on the side of it because all they needed was a 14-1 Indianapolis Colts to beat the Tennessee Titans on Sunday Night Football. And they throw out, I can't remember the quarterback, it was probably Chris Painter or something from Peru. And they lose, and then Browns fans, yet again, fall right back into the constant cycle of rebuild. I keep saying I'm excited because I am. This is a great opportunity. It's a great time for Browns fans. And I'm really, really excited to not only get this draft underway with them, but to see what they're going to be doing come September, come October, see if that they can live up to the hype once again. Kevin Stefanski obviously knows how to get those boys playing. 
I mean, anyone can get your team playing after Freddie Kitchens is your head coach. Nonetheless, having a full offseason with Kevin Stefanski is going to be huge. I'm calling top 10 offense, top 5 defense. I'm with you. I want it on record that we have the we both got the Browns winning the division. Potentially AFC Championship game. But let's not get too far. Let's make it till October. Until we start talking, you want to talk about how Baker Mayfield has a lot of protection, just like Patrick Mahomes, because the Kansas City Chiefs front office obviously was at that Super Bowl game, obviously was listening to their quarterback, and obviously seeing him run around for a combined 497 yards. Maybe it's 503. I'm seeing a bunch of skewed statistics on that, but you should not be running that much. Anyway, Kansas City Chiefs have now traded for Orlando Brown Jr., the offensive tackle that was currently in Baltimore. He's been requesting a trade here the past couple months, so he is able to play his true position, which is left tackle. So the Chiefs are receiving Orlando Brown a 58th pick, which is in the second round, and a sixth-round pick in the 2022 draft, who the Ravens receive. The Chiefs' 31st pick this year, the 94th pick, and 136th pick this year, on top of a fifth-round pick in 2022. Orlando Brown is only one of four tackles to be selected to a Pro Bowl in each of the past two seasons. So Kansas City, obviously, right back to being Super Bowl favorites. If they weren't already, they are definitely a strong favorite after bolstering this offensive line. How pissed off are you right now that Kansas City made these moves as a Raiders fan in the same division? I'm really upset because, first of all, the Ravens, they probably made a decent move for them because it doesn't sound like Brown was interested in coming back. So to get a little bit of a haul here, that's a good move for them. Now, does it make sense to trade that tackle to the best team, arguably, on paper in the entire NFL? That's where I kind of struggle with it. And the Chiefs, man, did they get a steal here? Because think about this. We were talking about a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, but we've even talked about the last few months since the Super Bowl. This was a team that cut both Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. We were talking about how, what are, is this team doing? It seems like they have no plan on the offensive line. What have they done since then? They bring in Orlando Brown via trade. They bring in Joe Thune, Austin Blythe, Kyle Long, all through free agency. You still have Mike Remmers there at right tackle. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they draft early-ish for them. They only have six picks, two seconds, a fourth, two fifths, and a sixth this year. But this is a deep offensive line class. I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them kind of dabble their feet in there as well to see if they could have, at the very least, a quality backup for Remmers, who's without a doubt the weak link on that line. But just revisiting this trade right now, this is effectively turning into Orlando Brown is your first-round pick this year. So you give that up. But you get a second-round pick as well. You forfeit a third and a fourth. We won't worry about the sixth and fifth exchange for next year right now. But they're effectively getting Orlando Brown in a second-round pick in exchange for a first for the Ravens, a third, and a fourth. That doesn't feel like all that much for a team that really doesn't have a lot of needs. And they kind of just have an established tackle. Now, the biggest question is, how fast can they get that extension if they get an extension all? I can't imagine they make this trade without being confident they can find the money and wiggle room to make it work. But this is a Chiefs team now that's immediately poised once again for not only an AFC West run, but a Super Bowl run in their own right. It's a very uneasy time for anyone in the AFC, not just teams like the Raiders who are going to have to face them twice a year. It's everybody. I mean, we talked about the Browns, but you also have teams like the Bills. You have teams, 
even like Baltimore, that realistically think that they can be Super Bowl contenders, and that is likely going to be a road through Arrowhead. And I just don't know how realistic that is to expect to walk in and beat a Kansas City-led team right now by Pat Mahomes. It's a very un... It's not fun. It's not fun. I, I don't know how else to sugarcoat it. It's not good for anyone in the league. Don't forget to add about their offensive line depth here that they also drafted in the third round Lucas Niang from TCU, an offensive tackle. Pretty solid, but took last year off because of COVID. So they're also going to have depth at tackle position, let alone their offensive line. That is going to be dangerous. The thing I cannot put two and two together on is the fact that Baltimore is trading with Kansas City. Baltimore cannot win in the playoffs, and the only team they consistently cannot beat, the only team they have not beat, are the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't understand why, over the past two years, top two teams in the AFC. Hell, in the NFL, Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. This is based off win percentage, obviously. I think there's some. there can be some debate who the top two teams really are. But then you go and trade an offensive tackle to Kansas City, the number one team that you want to beat. Because not only is it, is it going to get that monkey off your shoulder about how no one, how Baltimore cannot win in the playoffs, but that's your path to the Super Bowl right there. You beat Kansas City, your team's confidence and momentum in that playoff run is what's going to catapult your team. This Kansas City team is your bad boys to your MJ. This is your Warriors to LeBron. But yet you're helping them. That that just it does not make sense to me that Baltimore would do this. I understand that your tackle wants to get off your team, but at least trade them to an NFC conference team. Do not keep them. A keep them in your conference and B send them to a team that you know for a fact you're going to have to fight against to get to the promised land. And on top of that, they they can't beat them. So Orlando Brown's gonna be talking all that shit. It's like, shut up, Orlando. You lost with the you lost over here. And now you want to talk all this shit? Nah, fuck that. I can't fathom that. Doesn't make sense, Wally. No, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating that they would trade to the Chiefs of all teams. It literally, even in division, it makes more sense than the Chiefs right now. If you truly have Super Bowl aspirations in Baltimore. But I just want to know the rationale here, but behind making the Chiefs stronger. I get that this was probably one of the best offers that you were going to get for Orlando Brown. But even so, again, we we keep saying it, and I I hate to beat a dead horse, but the AFC is going to be run through Arrowhead for the next decade. Why help even in the slightest? I guess the only, if you're playing devil's advocate for Baltimore, the only thing that you could say is that this is a team that, you know what winners do. It's a culture that players want to play in. The only thing I can think of is that if they weren't going to do it now, what if Orlando Brown doesn't resign next year and he just goes and signs with Kansas City? So at least you're getting some return. But even so, I just I hope they exercise all options before they did this. It, it's just not good for any AFC team, man. Even if I understand being able to get something in return for him, knowing that he was going to leave. But don't expedite the process and send him straight to Kansas City. We don't know for a fact that Kansas City was, you know, or he was going to be able to sign with Kansas City. What if this Niang guy from TCU ended up being the real deal and it wasn't a problem? 
but just expediating that, giving it right to them, just so fucking stupid. That Baltimore team, they're they're a one and done. Lamar, you can run a thousand yards as much as you want, be ten and seven, nine and eight, losing the first two rounds of the playoffs. Have fun, bud. You guys really choked away one of the more more important pieces to a team like Baltimore. So I have no sympathy, and I know the Cleveland Browns fans love it. We'll keep it moving forward here. I feel like we've been alluding to a lot, but this is all just smoking mirrors. At least me, I know you've agreed with me. Julio Jones potentially being on the trade block. I always thought Atlanta should be cleaning house here. I've been saying that for a few months. Well, apparently, the GM of the Atlanta Falcons has come to say that he has been fielding calls for potential trade offers for Julio Jones. Now, of course, he says, yeah, you know, I'm just listening to Julio Jones trade offers as I would for any other player. Like Julio Jones is just every other fucking player. Not that he's just been an instant difference maker since he's dropped in the league. He's only been the best receiver in the league literally since he came in, especially when Calvin Johnson got the hell up out of there. But my thought, Julio Jones is going to stay in Atlanta. There's no way that you trade this piece away. Are you taking that call and trading him away if you're that GM, Wally? If I'm Atlanta, absolutely. It's just a matter of what you get if you are really hell-bent on getting a first-round pick for him. This is the deal. He's 32 years old right now. Who is realistically just a wide receiver away from a Super Bowl right now? Because if you're giving up a high-end pick for someone like that, then that's kind of where my brain goes, where it would have to be a team that feels like they are a Julio Jones away from potentially making a run to February. And I don't know how many teams there are like that right now that feel that confident. This is where the draft's going to be really interesting too because there's been a lot of rumors the last few days. It's got really hot that instead of a quarterback at four, Atlanta takes Kyle Pitts out of Florida. And if that happens, it's very clear that they're trying to basically replace Julio and they will be trying to move him. Now, I don't necessarily agree that that'll happen. I, I'm telling you, that's been the sexy pick right now. I still think that if Justin Fields or Trey Lance is available and one of them will be at four, they will take one of those quarterbacks to let kind of groom and sit behind Matt Ryan for a year, understanding that that's the thing. If they want a quarterback to replace Matt Ryan in the near future, it's not going to come by playing with the roster they have. They have too much talent to be a top five pick. Realistically, again, I don't believe it'll happen. And I don't think that they can plan on that happening. So I think you go get your guy now. Let him sit and basically just rebuild while you're still competitive. It's kind of like a soft rebuild instead of like a tear it down to the studs rebuild. That's why pay attention really hard because three and four in this draft are going to literally change the rest of the first round. There's a reason why the best mock draft guys out there are usually sitting around 40 to 45%. It's hard, and it's getting it's getting harder year in, year out now because teams are willing to trade more than they had. Teams are willing to be more secretive with their picks so that you really don't know until the day of, and that's why these mocks are going to be so crazy. It's almost at this point like March Madness filling out a bracket because you have the same probability of getting the first round right as you do of picking a perfect March Madness bracket. It just isn't going to happen. Now, 
Peter King out there of NBC Sports. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with him because he used to be at Sports Illustrated. He has four teams that he believes are going to be highly interested in Julio if they do decide to move on from him, with that being the Raiders, the Patriots, the Ravens, and the Titans. Do any of these teams feel like to you a court or a receiver away? The best one I guess you could make a case for is Tennessee, and even then, I'm not as high in Ryan Tannehill as a lot of people are. So I don't think that there's really a lot of marriages out there. And then you pair that with the fact that he's going to have a 23, and I, I think it's roughly 23 million dollar cap hit for this next year, and then two 19 million dollar years right after that. Now you're talking about a guy like Julio. He's going to be 35 at the end of that deal. I don't know if that's realistically going to be helpful to get this deal done, especially considering the fact I don't think the Falcons are going to be willing to get rid of him for a mid-round pick. It's going to have to be something early. I don't know. I just ultimately, long story short, no, I don't think he's going to get moved. I don't think that there's going to be that deal out there with the cap situation and with Atlanta getting the money they want. They'd have to eat some of that salary in a deal, and I don't think they're willing to do that. Atlanta's in a very interesting position. They seem that they they just always seem like they cannot get a right around draft time. You just said you don't think that number four is going to be shopped around, which is good foreshadowing for our mock draft, top 10 mock draft that we're going to have here coming up. So I got a little bit of something, something for you. But why not add a Kyle Pitts? If you're smart, you're going to add a defensive piece because your defense has been so piss poor and lackluster the, the past few years. You can have like a top seven offense, but when your defense is bottom three, you're not going to get anything done. Julio does cost a lot of money, but he's going to be worth it. The only way that they're going to be able to get him traded off is if Atlanta eats a little bit of that salary cap, like you said. As for your comment that you don't believe that there's anyone that is a wide receiver away, yeah, could not agree more. I think it's only you're just making your team better, not making that push for Super Bowl stardom. You know, maybe adding them, you know, adding them to a San Francisco 49ers team. That would definitely get them that pushover. Maybe getting real crazy and adding them to a Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee is going to do anything ridiculous, but him and AJ Brown together, that'd be a really fun duo. We have a couple other teams. You got your Vegas Raiders, Patriots, and Baltimore. Yeah, I don't see him making an impact to catapult them up all of a sudden to potential division winners or heading off to a conference championship or Super Bowl. But definitely a nice piece to have. Nice veteran piece in the locker room on the field. You already know where I'm going with this. I want that man in Green Bay. I've been wanting him in Green Bay. He is my number one fantasy draft pick. In Madden, every single time I, I do a fantasy team, which is fairly often. Me and my buddy Dylan Watts will do one, say, eh, we don't like that. Let's restart it. We'll stay up till three in the morning doing it. Well, Julio Jones, just get him out of Atlanta. It was fun watching him dominate with Matt Ryan for only like three seasons out of his career when he could have been doing it the whole time. Let's get him somewhere where he can win a ring, or at least in a position where he doesn't blow a 28-3 lead to win a ring. And one of those teams that I mentioned before that Peter King had talked about was Baltimore. Imagine him going and getting wasted in Baltimore until I see Lamar Jackson actually be able to pass with success and a bit of regularity in doing that, inconsistency in doing that. I don't want to give up even more. Now, because they did get a first-round pick for Orlando Brown, maybe that's enough for a late-round first to potentially get him. 
I'd be interested to see how it works. I don't think I would... I guess if you're Baltimore, you have to at some point go out and get someone that you believe is a premier wide receiver to put around Lamar to at least find out definitively if he can get it done through the air. I don't. I just don't think there's anyone out there. I think a situation like Green Bay would be interesting because of the Aaron Rodgers effect. It'd be so much fun to watch Julio Jones and Devontae play opposite of one another with one of the best quarterbacks of all time throwing him the ball. I just don't know if they have the ammunition or if they even choose to approach that through trade opposed to maybe getting a wide receiver in the first or second round this year and letting him kind of play there with Aaron Rodgers in the early part of his career. It'll be interesting. I just don't really believe that he will be moved. I keep saying that, but it's I just don't see it happening really. Something we didn't think we would ever see happening, a lot of people's worst nightmares could be a reality. But the Justin Fields talk, I know Wally's been a huge fan of San Francisco taking him at number three. Apparently, it's tra- it's a battle between Trey Lance and Mac Jones, which is mind-blowing to me. We're not, That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, yeah, boy, Justin Fields. All of a sudden, the Patriots might be uh, might be making some moves up the draft board to take Justin Fields. Maybe trade with Detroit. Maybe trade with Carolina. Obviously, this could be an absolute dream fit for Justin Fields, not all the OSU Buckeyes, sitting behind Cam Newton for a year to actually learn. You know, Justin Fields was looking up to Cam Newton at least one point in his career. Cam Newton just was just one of those players that everyone loved watching. So we got a BS mirror here going, Wally. We got one to ten. You calling this BS? Or is this nightmare becoming your reality? I'm going to spoil a little bit of my mock right now, but yeah, I do think it's going to be a reality. Someone's going to move up for Justin Fields if he starts falling. This was the guy that was a consensus number two pick in the NFL draft at the end of the national title game. And then we do it every year. We decide to tear down individual players for whatever reason. And he was the unfortunate party this time. And he seems to be falling. And that's miserable to me. I can't believe it. But if he ends up in New England with Billy B, then hey, good for him. It's about as good of a situation as San Francisco would be. I think that New England's going to be trying to move up in front of Denver and Carolina because I think those two both are very likely to take fields if he is still available. I think he, they are going to move up to seven with Detroit. Detroit then, they're still able to move down. If they still want to go with the wide receiver route, you're going to likely have one of those studs from Alabama still on the board at 15. And if that is the case, I think they're willing to basically take that gamble, get a little extra draft capital, and basically just sit back and enjoy the draft for a couple hours until they're picking at 15. It's a doomsday scenario for the AFC East to imagine Bill Belichick getting his guy, a quarterback, once again. And while Cam Newton isn't exactly the same kind of player that Justin Fields is, because Justin Fields, I believe, is just more of a prototypical passer from the pocket. He has that athleticism to be able to run the ball when plays break down. I think it will serve him right and serve him well to sit behind Cam Newton for even part of the year if Cam continues to kind of regress and not look like what he had in Carolina. And at that point, Justin Fields comes in. If they can get another wide receiver there, if they can get a few more weapons, because right now, I mean, you're dealing with Nelson Aguilar, who's elite, greatest Raider of all time. And then you have uh, and Keel Harry, and then you have that platoon at tight end they had last year. There's not a lot of weapons there, especially with Edelman stepping aside and retiring this year. 
if they can put the right pieces around him, I think he can be very successful in New England. And I think Belichick is desperately trying to get one more push with a quarterback of his choice to potentially be a Super Bowl contender yet again before he eventually retires. Because everyone, he's one of those coaches that seems like he's been around 100 years and you just expect him to be around for another 100. But he's getting up there in age and he's not that far out from probably hanging up in his own right. So I think this is kind of his last two raw. He goes out and gets his guy and they try to make one more little bit of a Super Bowl push with Bill Belichick at the helm. As the outsider looking in, I think Justin Fields to New England will be very exciting. Defense first team, allow Justin Fields to kind of just grip and rip it. He's he's just going to be a better Cam Newton. He wants to stay in the pocket. He wants to rip it. He's not scared to let it loose and run all over you as well. Justin Fields will be an absolute problem in New England. A new little twist to their offense that I don't even think Cam Newton can even open up right now. So it's only for Justin Fields. We'll see. All smoke and mirrors, like we say. We're going to find out here tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. Someone's going to move up for him unless, you know, San Francisco has been so tight-lipped with Shanahan and Lynch at the helm that I wouldn't be shocked if he still goes three. I'm starting to buy into, there's just so many rumors out there that he's out at three. It's going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I just can't wrap my head around the fact that San Francisco moved up for a guy that they could feasibly have moved into the later part of the top 10 to get. Kyle Shanahan must love Mac Jones. It doesn't make sense to me. He's an offensive guru. I'm sure that he sees what he wants to see there. I just truly believe Justin Fields is the best, second best quarterback in this class behind Trevor Lawrence, of course. And I think that anybody that passes on Fields is going to be having the similar PTSD that the Bears, that all these other teams have over the Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes draft. Those guys fell way too far. And I think you could be seeing the same thing. Lucky for Justin Fields, falling in the draft isn't going to be damning for your career. You can even see with your boy Aaron Rodgers, the guy was possibly going to be a number one overall pick. What happens instead? He falls to what? I think 24. So it's not even going to be the fall that we're not even used to seeing, but we have seen. So I think he's still going to be fine. I just am kind of frustrated on his behalf because I think that a lot of the criticisms coming out against him right now are unwarranted and simply just unfounded. And we'll hop into the last story here before we get into our mock drafts. Trevor Lawrence, absolute baller move, signs his first endorsement deal. Cryptocurrency portfolio management application called Blockfolio. The baller thing is he accepted his signing bonus exclusively in crypto. It deposited in his bank account on Friday, and it's already worth more today than it was when it was deposited. How baller of a move is it that Trevor Lawrence is doing this? And B, is he going to start setting a trend with signing endorsement deals with cryptocurrency? I think you're definitely going to see this become a little bit of a trend. We already have in the past, just with not as high-profile players, uh, I want to say it was either Trent Williams or Russell Okung. He's getting half of his salary paid in crypto right now. Sean Culkin, you probably don't know him. He's a deep-in-the-depth chart tight end for Kansas City right now. He's the first player in the league to accept his salary fully in crypto, which was $920,000. And for a guy like him, maybe it's a little bit worth the gamble. Maybe elevate that a little bit. Set yourself up long-term for a little bit better of a life after football. 
But good for Trevor Lawrence. I think this is sweet. I hope it helps send Dogecoin to the moon because I'm still sitting on that bad boy. We're trying to get there, and I'm hoping that we all can. But Darren McFadden even, a few years back, he had, I want to say, $3 million before the Bitcoin boom, or at least to people like me knowing too much about Bitcoin. He was set to basically turn that $3 million into something like two or $300 million in Bitcoin. But what happened? His agent, who was supposed to do it for him, never did. So Darren McFadden is going to always have to sit there and wonder, especially because I don't know what that number would be like today, because Bitcoin's what? It's like something like fifty dollars or $60,000 for Bitcoin right now. He could have been sitting at, like, buy yourself an NHL team kind of money, and instead, he's just retired, not to say he's looking for his next meal, but that's got to be so frustrating but yeah, you asked if this is going to be a trend. I absolutely think it's going to be a trend. I think it's going to be a trend even outside of football. There's a reason why people our age, like you and I, are dabbling in the stock market like never before. It's smart to really look at your future, try to invest if you can. So I'm rooting for Trevor Lawrence to have that monetary success. I still want Justin Fields to be the best quarterback in this class. Whether that happens, we'll see. But good for Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely do think this will be a trend going forward. So with that being said, we're going to head over to our mock drafts here. Right now, we just have a top 10. The rest of it will get posted to our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Have you guys talk to us. Tell us what you think, how stupid you think we are. And then we can show you how right we were next week when the draft is all over. So, Wally, you want to do a little back and forth action? Rally off the top 10. What are you thinking? That sounds great. It's going to be hilarious because you say that we're going to come back and look great. Again, the best people that do this get to 40 45%. I'm hoping if I can drop 10 guys in the right spot, I'm calling this a freaking W. That puts me right around 30%. I'm batting 300. I can be a freaking all-star in Major League Baseball. But absolutely, let's go. I don't think we're going to have too many surprises here in the top two. Not at all. Outside of Trevor Lawrence, whoever gets the most correct draft picks here, Next round of golf is on them. That sounds great to me. I'd love that. Well, let's get it going. I think we can both agree we got Trevor Lawrence at one, Zach Wilson at two. Yeah, there's no surprise there. We're, Trevor Lawrence one, Zach Wilson two. It feels very locked in, so I don't think we should probably spend any more time. Everybody's probably, if you're listening to this, you already knew this too. So those guys are going one and two. We'll go to our three spot here. We have San Francisco picking. I'm sticking with my pick that I've, I just kind of grabbed and ran with it. Trey Lance. They're trading up to get Trey Lance. They're going to suck it up with Jimmy G here for a little bit. Mold that defense. Mold Trey Lance. Because the kid's turning 21 here in about 13 days. Kid is extremely young. Get him groomed up in Shanahan's offense. You're going from North Dakota throwing 30 passes last year to the NFL and the biggest mastermind on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to take... A little bit of time to get used to it but I think it's going to be successful I don't know why don't you ask Jimmy G felt like he had a very similar path three and four here are the most important draft picks for the trajectory of the rest of the first round it's going to be it's one of those things if they go Trey Lance Mac Jones might fall farther than a lot of people think he might if they take Mac Jones then all of a sudden what did the Atlanta Falcons do it for because if they choose to not go quarterback the net spirals everything. Then you have two quarterbacks beyond the fourth pick. You're going to have teams getting calls to move up. 
But I am going to buy into no critical thinking here whatsoever. I'm buying into the smoke. I think Mac Jones is going to be their pick at three. Now, if Trey Lance or Justin Fields is that guy, is my jaw going to be on the floor? Absolutely not. But I think just from everything that's going out, Mac Jones seems like the guy. Uh, there's been rumors. Of, I can't even remember what I was watching earlier that said this. So whoever I'm skimping out of the credit, sorry to them. There's apparently rumors that the front office wants them to take Trey Lance, that Kyle Shanahan wants to take Mac Jones. And it turns into then, do you follow your head coach who wants to groom this guy? Or do you kind of put a guy that, that he might not necessarily want there and let him learn from there? But I go with Mac Jones here. I'll keep it here. I'll throw it right back. We'll kind of go with the snake draft here to make this easy on us. Fourth pick. This is where it gets absolutely insane to me because if they do decide to go with Kyle Pitts, again, Trey Lance falls and Justin Fields falls, you're going to have a lot of teams really pushing to get up and get one of these guys. I think that they decide that they are going to put Matt Ryan's heir apparent behind him and Trey Lance. So Trey Lance is going to go for here, not Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is going to fall a little bit on my mock draft that you won't see, I think, on most people's, I think simply for the fact that there's so much premier talent at wide receiver, tackle, and quarterback here, you're going to see a few teams pass on Kyle Pitts. Who knows, maybe someone moves up because he is the guy that most people have been enamored with in this draft process as the number one non-Trevor Lawrence player in this entire draft. Wouldn't shock me at all if he goes for, but I'm going to say Trey Lance, they get their quarterback figure out for the future beyond Matt Ryan, and they go from there. Who do you have the Falcons taking forward? Do you have them possibly moving from the four spot? So I do have them moving for the four spot. We heard Denver's name come up a lot and potentially trading up to take a quarterback. You know, John Elway, that has just been his fascination. He is Rex Ryan, and quarterbacks of the NFL are feet. Just absolutely obsessed, honed in on it, and they never can seem to get it right. I think Denver is going to trade up to number four with Atlanta, and they're going to pick Justin Fields. Coming out of absolute left field, pun intended, left fields, I should say, at that point. But I think Dever is going to trade up to four, finally get their quarterback of the future. I haven't really done too much logistics about how they're going to get up to number four. They're probably going to have to trade a lot. But Denver is definitely that team willing enough to and desperate enough to trade up for that four spot. Justin Fields going out smoking a couple doobies out in Denver. He is the Broncos quarterback for the near future. And that leaves number five. I'm keeping this one pretty simple. Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU. Joe Burrow has been very vocal in, in him wanting to bring Jamar Chase in, his fellow wide receiver at LSU. I don't know. They only combined for 20 touchdowns last season or the year before. No big deal. Why not automatically have that connection with another receiver? Paired up with T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd all of a sudden seems like a pretty solid three. Getting a couple of healthy old linemen back. Joe Mixon, if he decides he wants to play a little ball, maybe we're looking at a, uh, a top 12, top 15 offense going into next year, or overall by the end of next year. Maybe the Bengals could be causing some surprise in that division all of a sudden. I just want to revisit real quick before we get too far. Those... Two gems you just dropped, not only out of left field, but before that even, 
the Rex Ryan and feet comment, you are buzzing right now. That was good. I really enjoyed that. So anyway, and for the record, if Denver moved up for Justin Fields, you're going to find me crying in a corner of the NFL draft. Just so sad that I have to not root for Justin Fields. That's one of the only places he could go. In fact, it's pretty much the only place he could go that I would be miserable with because you know the Chiefs aren't taking him. You know that the Chargers aren't taking him. So if I have Herbert, Justin Fields, and Patrick Mahomes in my division, I think my next 10 years are going to be even more miserable than the last 10, and I'm not ready for that reality. But So for me at five, I think it's without a doubt between one of two players. It's going to either be Jamar Chase, the wide receiver at LSU, a little bit of experience there with Joe Burrow, or Panay Sewell, the left tackle out of Oregon. A lot of people at the beginning of this process, even going back to last year, were calling Sewell a generational talent at the tackle position. Now again, similar to what you see with Justin Fields, seemingly out of nowhere, he's not even the top tackle on a lot of people's boards right now. You're seeing Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern be that guy. I think Sewell's still the best tackle to me. I think he's probably still the first tackle off the board, which we will get to here very shortly. But I think that they do go Jamar Chase. I know a lot of Bengals fans aren't going to be particularly thrilled, not going tackle and protecting Joey B early on. But you can protect your quarterback by giving him that top weapon. And Jamar Chase is as close to a all-around wide receiver as it gets. Good blocker, fast, quick feet, great route runner, and great hands, strong hands. So I think that they'd be very happy pairing him with Joey Burrow once again. And basically because of how deep this offensive line class is, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Bengals trade back into the first to get that tackle later on, or even sitting down later and waiting until the second round and getting their guy there. So Jamar Chase is going to go five. Now six, I have Miami. Might have heard him. Might have just been talking about him. Panay Sewell. A lot of people had them mocking a wide receiver there. And it makes sense to try to give Tua as many reasons and opportunities to succeed as possible. And you do that by surrounding him with weapons. It's not always, to me, wide receivers aren't running backs where you are scared to draft him in the first round. You don't feel like the value's there. But it's not far off because you can get very good wide receivers later in the first, later or later in the draft, excuse me, where I know I'm t- talking out of both sides of my mouth because I just talked up Chase so high, but Chase feels like a step above. And I know that's kind of disrespectful to guys like Devontae, who had such a monster year in college and has done nothing wrong besides be the size he was this whole time. And now as soon as people find that out, they run scared. But I think they go Sewell. They get that generational tackle. They replace, finally, Laramie Tunsil, who one of the greatest draft day memories of my life is seeing the freaking picture pop up of him with the gas mask bong, which, credit to that guy. Uh, it's a shame to hear the circumstances around that. But they finally get that left tackle they desperately want. And I think they're very happy that Sewell does get past Cincinnati and they take him there. So I don't want to beat too much of your own drum here, Wally, but I agree. I have number six here, Miami taking Panay Sewell. Why would you not want to bolster that offensive line? Get Tua to stay in the pocket. The dude has an absolute cannon. We just cannot let him run outside the pocket all the time. We got to be able to keep Tua inside the pocket, make him a good quarterback, let him develop. Panay Sewell, best offensive lineman prospect in a while and best offensive lineman prospect in the draft. Why do you not take him? I'm surprised that he's falling this far. 
But at the same time, I'm not because everyone's so quarterback-driven right now, or at least so far on my mock draft. Now, number seven, I have Micah Parsons here from Penn State. Absolute stud linebacker. Dude is just a freak of nature. He just has all of the attributes, all the intangibles, all the intangibles, whatever, all the intangibles to be that guy. He was named the Buckus and Fitzgerald Linebacker of the Year after racking up 109 total tackles, 14 of those for loss, five sacks, five pass defended, and four forced fumbles during just his sophomore year. And, you know, when he was a true freshman, he led the the Nittany Lions with 83 tackles, and he was the first ever true freshman linebacker to lead the Penn State Nittany Lions in tackles. There's a lot of studs that came out of there. For him to be the first one, and let alone, he's only played the position for about two to three years. He was recruited as a return specialist. Hell, I think he played DN and tight end for a little bit. Then they moved him to linebacker, and he was nothing but a problem. Those are the attributes you are looking to be just a solid defensive player in the NFL in general. Someone you can plug and play in any position. That linebacker, maybe throw him up to safety a little bit. Any three or four linebacking positions, depending on what defense you're running. And you can send him to the house, too. I think that he is going to be in Detroit. Detroit needs to keep building up that defense. And he also just looks like a person that's ready to take off a kneecap when he's coming back up. The Parsons idea is actually really interesting, and I could see them taking him, but it's not going to be at seven. I already told you, they're moving down. They're going to trade with New England, where New England is going to take none other than Justin Fields himself. Billy B gets his replacement to Tom Brady, Cam Newton, the play stop as he was. That's not going to be a long-term fix. Everyone knows it, including Cam, I imagine. They move up and get him. Detroit, if you want to hear what I have to say about them or see who at least I am picking for them, again, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook tomorrow. Check out my mock draft there. I'm going to just real quick, I've we've talked about Justin Fields for way too much time in the last month and a half, two months. So I'm not going to say anything else there. You know how I feel about him. Now, number eight for me, the fall of Kyle Pitts stops. Carolina is going to take Kyle Pitts. They're going to really, really want to take a tackle here like Rashawn Slater or if Sewell does fall, they would love to take him here. But it's going to be so hard to pass up an arguably the best player in this entire draft with Kyle Pitts at tight end. I know Russell Okung is gone, and they're going to want to address that. But again, this is a deep line class, one of the deepest that we've had in a long time. They can go and get that guy in the second round or even trade back up into the later part of the first round for him. I think they go Kyle Pitts here. They try to give Sam Darnold a little bit of an added weapon on top of CMC. That Carolina offense could be a lot of fun to watch. I just don't see them passing up on the opportunity If it does arise, I think that this is the absolute farthest Kyle Pitts could fall on this. I would be stunned if he goes beyond eight. And if he does, then all of a sudden, at what point do teams call back or call up to trade for a Kyle Pitts? It's not usual a thing that you're going to see in the first round to move up for a tight end. But Kyle Pitts isn't a normal tight end. He's the best tight end that I can ever remember coming out of college. And the way the NFL is moving... He's more of that hybrid. He can basically play wide receiver if you need him to. There, he has no issues lining out in the slot, lining up on the outside. He's got it all. He's a full, all-around player. Solid blogger. Not great. He's going to get stronger. But Kyle Pitts is going to be the guy 
at eight if he gets there. If not, don't be surprised at all if a tackle goes. But again, in this scenario, in my mock draft, I think Pitts is available. And if that's the case, Panthers, no way they pass up on him. You know what? Your Kyle Pitts stop, stopping at eight. I am right on that boat with you. I think Carolina has to pick this. Kind of to your point, how could you not want to pair this up with a CMC? You got Robbie Anderson there. Finally giving Sam Darnold some weapons. He already has the chemistry built up with Robbie Anderson. Get arguably and the best tight end prospect coming out of college that I can remember. Travis Kelsey was not getting this. George Kittle was not getting this. The most hyped tight end that we've gotten recently is TJ Hawkinson. And he was sick for his first two games. Hasn't really done shit since. How do you not take Kyle Pitts? I'm surprised that he's falling this far. I almost wanted to take him at Cincinnati because why not get a little bit of a O-line halfway bolstering, but another weapon for Joe Burrow. Looks like Carolina ha- has that thought process with Sam Darnold. We never know. Carolina can end up taking a quarterback if they fall. With the number 10, Patrick Sertain. Now this is going to Atlanta at number 9 because this was the trade from Denver. I did not allude to what the trade was, but it's swapping first-round picks for the record. Patrick Sertain, like I was saying earlier in the segment, I think Atlanta really needs to focus on bolstering that defensive side of the ball. Offense, you can check basically every box outside of a couple old linemen. Got running, you don't need a running back with the way that offense is flying on the passing end of it with Julio and Calvin Ridley. Couple that with Hayden Hurst, who had his best year as a tight end professionally. That checks that box. You know, I'm just going to go with number 10 here as well just to wrap us up a little bit quicker. Rashawn Slater, that's where a lot of them are going to the Dallas Cowboys at number 10. We all know what they did early in the 2010s or late late in the early 2000s of bolstering that offensive line. They're all starting to get old, retire, not being themselves. So now they're about to re-bolster it with re-signing Dak, keeping Zeke here for a couple years. Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle outside of Northwestern, is going to be your best bet for those fucking cowgirls. This is where we finally start really disagreeing with each other. It took, what, nine picks to get here. If Atlanta goes defense instead of offense, I'd be stunned personally. I think they definitely are going to either go quarterback or Kyle Pitts. But we've seen much weirder things. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we are stunned by a pick, whether it's Atlanta or someone else. It's going to happen. I just don't think that it's going to be there. Now, for me at nine, this is Denver taking Rashawn Slater. They're going to be a little bummed out in their own right. Someone's got to be left out of this quarterback bonanza, and I think it's going to be Denver. Sad for their fans. Not so sad for me. I'm kind of still pulling that they take a guy like Kellen Mond on day two, and then they're stuck with Drew Locke and Kellen Mond, where they're just like, oh my God, these are both just mediocre quarterbacks. That's my dream. Now, Slater, like I was saying before, a lot of people think he might be the best tackle in this entire draft. The guy's strong, but in... On top of that, he's incredibly smart. Both him and Tevin Jenkins are both like these whiz kids, both whiz tackles. And when you have your left tackle as the smartest guy on your offense besides your quarterback, that is not a bad problem to have. Denver will be happy there. And who knows, maybe next year is the year that if they feel like they, which because right now they have a pretty complete team except for that quarterback position, they have a few needs like tackle. They have a few needs like linebacker. Things like that you can address later in the draft. Or at least at the linebacker, you can address later in the draft. Quarterback, yeah, it's kind of a band-aid for right now. I think Denver in the future might 
maybe next year, move up high in that first round to go get their quarterback. Kind of like a situation where San Francisco's in where it feels like they're that guy away from realistically being a threat to the, I guess, not really a threat to the Chiefs because the Chiefs are untouchable, but at least they're going to be in that playoff positioning. And you know how it is. You get into the playoffs, that's half the battle. Make teams beat you then. And you just want to be alive in January. It gives you a shot. Now, going to 10 real quick, for me anyways, I have Dallas going Patrick Sertan. I think that Dallas is, personally, I think they're a lock to go corner in the first round. It sounds like Vegas has them as the heavy favorite to be the first team in the draft to take a corner. I think that holds true. Patrick Sertan is a scheme fit. He's a desperate need, and he's really long. He's kind of the prototypical corner if you could build one. It's just a matter of, does he translate? And I think he will. I think he's a very, very refined prospect. I think that he's got that potential to be an outstanding corner for a long period of time in the league. And God, does Dallas need it. That defense was so bad last year. I would be, I think if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'd be fired up if I can get a guy like that, whether it's him or J.C. Horn. I don't think Horns is well, or good of a fit there. I think you'll see him go in the next five picks or so. But yeah, for me, you see Bama finally get their first defensive player off the board at 10. It's kind of weird seeing a top 10 pick or draft now where Ohio State and Alabama doesn't have a top 10 defensive player. And Sertan's going to keep that alive, at least for the tide's sake. So that's my top 10. Again, if you want to see more of these, tomorrow, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, our mocks there. And who knows? Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Again, we're not going to be right on these because no one's right on these. But they're fun to do. And it's fun to at least try to guess where teams are thinking of beforehand. So before... We wrap it up. Do you have anything about your top 10, about my top 10 you want to say? I'm going perfect 10 for 10. Like, you're talking about yours. Don't don't couple we. I'm going 10 for 10 in there. So I don't know what you're talking about. But the social media you're talking about, the Instagram and Facebook, that's at loss of down. And the Twitter is at down underscore loss. So check us out there. Give us a couple likes on ours. Give us a follow. Check out what our the rest of our mock draft is looking like. And that's all I got, Wally. And until next time... He is Wally Lukashensky. I am Stephen Weed. This is Loss of Down. We will check you guys after the draft to see me going perfect 10 for 10. Parsons to the Raiders. Please, 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 please.